What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. All right, everybody, welcome. I'm very excited for today. We have Spidey from the Behavioral Arts. Uh, dude, thank you for uh, for joining me today. I'm so happy to have you. Dude, it's a pleasure, man. We... Uh, one of the things that I wanted to start with was some flattery, which is that there are, honestly, man, I don't want to say there's only one, but there are very few channels on YouTube in a similar niche to what we have where I go and I learn things from watching them. So many of them can feel like they're either reading from the same books as me or literally just ripping our channel. And when I go to yours, I am so pleasantly surprised that I go as a student and I come out having learned things. So I know you've got a crazy background of uh, mentalism, body language, reading, uh, magic, all different kinds of stuff. People ask me all the time, where did I learn to do it? I know my answer. Where did you learn all the things that you're sharing on your channel? Uh, uh, charisma on command. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> it's actually not a lie because uh, your thumbnails have inspired me enormously. Like your yeah. thumbnails are such a, such a game changer that, that I'm not even ashamed to admit that like though, <laughs> that part of my business very much was inspired by you. Um, so essentially my background as, as quickly as I can condense it is I've had a lifelong passion for magic. So when I was a teenager, I started, you know, card tricks and uh, it was kind of like a way to socialize, impress people, you know, just connect with people. Um, so magic started early and then very quickly I transitioned more towards mentalism and hypnosis because I love that element of it feeling a little more real. You know, with a magician, they, they produce a handkerchief or their co a coin goes from one end to the other and you go, that's really cool, but it doesn't feel real. With mentalism, which we'll talk a bit about what mentalism is pretty soon exactly um it feels real people mm -hmm. people watch that show and feel like they've witnessed a real skill now it's a moral obligation on my hand to remind them that it's not a real skill like i don't have superpowers but it feels that way so i, I love that now as i was learning that and practicing that and starting a career in that i was also studying in university sociology with a minor in psychology and I thought it was really interesting to find ways to combine the two. So in my performance to actually bring in some research that I was learning and more and more, I got interested in that aspect of it. Cause a lot of the times we hear mentalists say something like, Oh, look out. He blinked twice. He's thinking yeah. of a red card. And I'm like, what? Like that's <laughs> not a thing. So when I was studying in sociology, nonverbal communication, I was like, well, maybe there's a way to actually bring in real nonverbal communication and body language into my performance. And that's where the whole interest in persuasion, body language, nonverbal communication, interrogation technique, all that stuff really piqued my interest. So I got severely into that, got a bunch of certifications along the way, and I've been obsessed ever since. And that's, that's a 10-year journey or more, 15 years. So for that final piece, because I mean, I guess as a fellow creator... Are you reading studies that talk about, for instance, I mean, I could do a list of things that I feel like I learned just in preparing for this conversation, but you talk about um, how to detect lies and in a lot of your videos is what is someone really thinking? And one of the ones that I hadn't heard or seen but was intuitively true was that people who are lying, and again, you always give disclaimer, I'll give it for you, there is no one single thing that is going to tip off a lie. These have to occur in clusters, and even then, that's a probability thing. Um, so well said. Thank you so much for that. Because I was getting anxiety talking yeah. about like lie detection, like it's a fact. But yeah, that was beautifully said. Good, good. So, but one of the things is contractions versus non-contractions. I hadn't thought of this, but someone who says I did not do that versus someone who says I didn't do that, that the non-contraction tends to correlate more with deception. And so like, I, I don't know, I've read every book as far as I know on this kind of stuff. Where are you getting that kind of stuff? Is that like life experience or these studies that you're going to? How, how are you pulling that kind of precise so, sort of thing about lie detection? So most of what I teach on the channel is not, like a vast majority is not stuff that I made up through experience. And when it is, I say it. I say mm -hmm. on, the, on the video, like this is my experience that has allowed me to see this. Most of what I've learned with lie detection and clusters was through either live courses that I took, certification courses or reading material from interrogators. So uh, non-contractions comes up quite a bit, actually. Uh, if you look at Spy the Lie, which is an amazing book written by three ex-CIA interrogators, 
all three of them have advanced degrees in psychology and, or, sorry, in terms of degrees, don't quote me on that. I know one of them does have a PhD in something. I don't know what all their degrees are, but they have certain qualifications in terms of education, but a very long career as CIA interrogators where their job was to interrogate individuals working for the CIA and find anyone who might be leaking information. So they have to be really, really good at knowing where where they need to dig deeper. Mm -hmm. So they have an amazing book called Spy the Lie where they talk about this. And one of them, Phil Houston, has an online certification course where he goes in more depth. And non-contractions are from there. But also my buddy Chase Hughes, who a lot of people who watch YouTube would know from the behavior panel, um, he, he has a lifelong career uh, studying interrogation in the military. And he also talks about non-contractions. And the reason non-contractions are something we pay attention to is quite simple, really. It's the fact that overall, again, there's nothing that'll allow you to know someone's lying. There's just things that happen in clusters. And when we see these clusters spike all of a sudden, it just cues us to ask a little bit more questions regarding that topic. The reason non-contractions are important is simply this. Truth tellers are less often concerned with how their story is being perceived. Because in their head, it's the truth, and they're just speaking the truth. A liar more often wants to make sure that it's believable, that you're buying it. So we say, uh, truth tellers tell, liars sell. So often you see liars, it comes off as more of a sales pitch. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing a lot of too many details that nobody asked for to really try to build an image to sell it to you. And a non-contraction typically makes our message more clear. So if I'm just telling you a story, I'm going to use can't, couldn't, won't, wouldn't. Mm -hmm. But if I'm really trying to sell it, I want to make sure you get every word I'm saying, I'm more likely to say would not, could not to really get that through to you. So it's just something that contributes to a cluster, but alone is absolutely meaningless. Yeah. And I want to, I want to, we could go through some of the ones that I found uh, and I enjoyed a lot. I was watching the Amber Heard trial along with you. I was wildly jealous of your speed to create videos on it. And I see, I mean, I saw you just explode during that time frame. So one, your work ethic was super impressive throughout that. <laughs> I can imagine that was crazy. But the, there was a moment where Amber Heard gets very specific in her talking about Johnny Depp about what the carpet looked like after she was hit. There's another moment where she describes feeling a boot, you know, on her back. And these strange moments of specificity, and then also it would be combined with, like, vagueness of, like, well, where did the bottle hit you? And she's like, well, the bottle hit me on the leg area, in the, you know, uh, the leg phase. She said some crazy words. So I, yeah. what I thought was really interesting that I picked up from you is specificity in the wrong places is another strong tell of a liar because they want to act like they were in that scene but they're having to recreate it and they're probably also nervous about describing the specifics of what really did happen because the laws of physics might make it impossible or could be contradicted or something like that. And once again, we have to be very delicate with this kind of thing because is it possible? Is there a world in which someone who's telling the truth will give you those details? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it's, again, I'll say this again again, it's never just one thing. It was that combined with the fact that she was all of a sudden having these, like you said, fluctuating over specificity and all of a sudden we're hesitating and all of a sudden we're seeing these indicators of stress. We're seeing that blink rate go up. We're seeing a lot of these compressions with the mouth, which typically means we're holding something back. So we're seeing all these things all of a sudden happen when she's telling this story. Now, could it just be simply the stress of remembering something that was extremely traumatic? It can be, which is why I we always say, it just raises the probability. The best metaphor I could think of is this, a, a metal detector, right? A metal detector doesn't know what it's picking up. It just knows mm -hmm. that it's picking up something. Could, be, could yeah. be your keys, it could be nothing. So when we see these clusters, it could mean nothing, but it's usually a good indication for us to say, something's going on here, ask more questions. So yeah. in my videos, I, say, I never say, that's a lie. I say, I would just wanna ask a few more questions based on what I'm seeing here. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the caveats and probably the biggest meta thing that I took as I was watching your videos is that lie detection is not actually a thing that we can do. What we can do fairly reliably is detect stress and stress corresponds to lies, but can also correspond to someone who is telling the truth and is so afraid that they won't be believed. So there's, you know, that was something is like, okay, we can sort of detect this really des this strong desire to be believed, but that is not one-to-one -one correlated with lying. Yeah. 
and I, I think a lot of people misunderstand the point of lie detection. Mm-hmm. It's it's never the end goal. Like nobody, no interrogator leaves an interrogation room and goes, "I saw a cluster, book them." Mm-hmm. You know, that's not how it yeah, works. Yeah. It, the, the the end goal is still that confession. The end goal is still for the person to go, "Okay, you know what? I'm going to come clean." Mm-hmm. So when you know these clusters, it just tells us, "Okay, push here. Something's going on here." And you just ask more questions with the hopes that the person is just going to fumble on something and go. Okay, you know, either they come clean or they say something that in fact contradicts something that they said earlier. It just, it's a flashlight in an otherwise dark room. It just guides us. Got it. And so I could actually go through, I mean, there's so many cool ones that you did, but I mean, at the, at the risk of just taking time repeating your videos, I'll tell people, check a lot of these videos out. In your own life, some of these gestures occur in a tenth of a second, and some of them are much larger. When you think of, like, blocking or the Amber Heard, there was a big moment where she goes, she says something she shouldn't have said in the deposition. She clearly goes to cover her mouth, realizes that she's not supposed to cover her mouth because that's too obvious, and then rubs her hair. Um, that was that was so cool to break down, one, what I, again, I was learning as I was going, but I want to share with you and the audience, like, it seems like we've got this reptile or, like, three-year-old brain that spits out a bad word and goes, oh! And then we've got layered on top of that all of these, uh, you know, whatever it's our our um, the primate brain or whatever it's the called, limbic, the limbic the, system, which is yeah, the mammal, the mammal yes, brain. Yes, yes. So we got our limbic, like, <gasps> and then neocortex on top of that is, oh shit, these people are going to catch me, and so we leak constantly these three-year-old gestures and then cover them up in other ways, which I just thought was so fascinating. But it's in your amazing. own life, well, go ahead, yeah, please. It, 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 sorry to cut you off. Go, go, go for it. Okay. So it's fascinating. And for me, I I personally, in my own life or in my own practice, um, I give more weight to things that we see, or I give a lot of weight to things that we see in children who are born blind. So Mm. for example, eye blocking or closing the eyes to focus is something that children who are born blind do. And to me, that's so important because we know two things. One, it's not like they observed someone do it and picked up on that. And two, they don't have a need to close their eyes. It doesn't make a difference whether their eyes are closed or open because they, they can't see. So to me, the fact that we know that children were born blind, when they need to focus on something, close their eyes, to me, that's so telling. So in behavioral analysis, we know that when you close your eyes, you're trying to do one of two things, either keep thoughts in or keep thoughts out. So either focusing on something, trying to hold on to a memory, a thought, or someone gives you bad news and we commonly see this kind of thing like, oh man, and you're just trying to keep that thought out. Mm -hmm. So I love the fact that we see this in children who were born blind. Then you have a researcher, last name Matsumoto, first name is escaping me. I want to say David, I could be wrong. He observed blind athletes and how they responded to coming in first, second, or third at the Olympics, Mm. or not not placing. So Mm. things like uh, real happiness, feigned happiness, um, (laughs) disgust, disappointment. But he wanted to see what it looks like on the faces of individuals who wouldn't have known to pick it up from other cues that they've seen. So this is such valuable information. What I take this to mean is that, and I imagine this is cross-cultural and as also it's being seen in blind people, which seems to imply that uh, it's that limbic leaking that happens. Like, you know, this is what happiness looks like on the face and feels like. This is what contempt looks like. You said it's the only one that is asymmetrical, where like one yeah. side of the face goes up. Disgust is that scrunched feeling together. Uh, and then these micro-expressions, which is fascinating. This is a question that I have for you. Do you, if, in, if you, do you detect these in your own life or do you need the benefit of being able to replay the Amber Heard thing three times to see these micro-expressions? Because some of these seem more applicable than others for our, an audience or even me to like take into the real world. It's a terrific question. So the way I explain it normally is like, it, it's like a magazine, right? Mm-hmm. If you're walking by the cash register at the grocery store and you look in a magazine uh, and you pick it up and you really quickly flip through it, there are certain things you're going to see, the really big, obvious headlines, the big pictures, mm-hmm. you know, that say, you know, Brad and Angelina or whatever. Mm-hmm. You see the big headlines, you're going to notice those immediately. But to pick up the finer details or the more intricate things, you're going to have to actually take the time to read it. So mm-hmm. when I watch real interactions, when I'm interacting with people, 
Signs of stress, I, I see almost instantly. When something comes up in person is all of a sudden stressing or we see things close up, they start mm. pacifying, you know, rubbing something or adapting different words in the literature for that. I see that kind of thing almost immediately. Certain emotions, I see almost immediately. Signs of stress, I see almost immediately. But there are certain things like, you know, micro emotions or things like that, that I might have to look at a video two or three times and then I catch it. I go, oh, I didn't see that before. Or even in the language, you know, because sometimes you might see something and it might distract from what they're, they're saying. So I might have to look at it two, three times um, on certain occasions. And Got by it. the way, I did find it. It is, in fact, um, Matsumoto. Uh, David Matsumoto is the one who did the research on the blind athletes building on Paul Ekman's research. Got it. I don't know. Honestly, like you are so good at being not conclusive in your things, but also in, in establishing a very strong case for inauthenticity. And that is not something that I have been fantastic at detecting. I often give perhaps too many benefits of the doubts, but I feel a bit more equipped. So I'm wondering like, what can I and other people in terms of large, broad things that of course need to occur in clusters, what sort of things are most easy to pick up when you know to look for them? So first and foremost, don't undermine your natural reflex to mm. play devil's advocate or to give the benefit of the doubt, because it's when you can be critical like that, that you actually find answers. If, you know, I'm sure you see it in your comments. I see it in mine as well. So many people on the internet are biased. They're coming yeah. in already having an opinion on Amber Heard, Meghan Markle, name it. You know, they already have an opinion. So my video, they're coming to watch my video to basically validate what they're thinking. And if I say things that they agree with, I'm the best. And if I say things they disagree with, I'm the worst. They don't understand that for me, I'm constantly going back and forth and constantly challenging my own conclusion. Because if I see Amber Heard say a bunch of things and I go, oh, it's inauthentic here, the next statement I have to restart from zero. Because if I mm -hmm. keep those lens on and keep looking at it with those same lens, I'm just looking for things to confirm what I already think. So never, ever, never feel bad for constantly questioning it. That That's really important. Um, but yeah, in terms of broader gestures, absolutely. First of all, I, I very much discourage people from trying to figure out uh, truth from lie or authenticity from authenticity. It's really difficult. Try to think of it more in terms of comfort and discomfort mm -hmm. because that is a lot easier to see and gives us a lot more information. So think about comfort as taking up more space. Um, things are more open, especially the vitals. So if your neck is exposed, whether it's like this, whether it's like this, it's very rare that we see head tilts with discomfort. You might see it with skepticism or deep thought, but very rarely would somebody who's uncomfortable have a head tilt because it exposes something extremely vulnerable. Same with the wrists. If you're seeing those wrists, odds are there's a certain amount of comfort. Now, when we're asking for something, we often see the hands up like this or we're offering something. But it's very, so when those wrists go inwards or I start to see those wrists disappear, that could start to be discomfort. When things close in, we turtle, we get protective. When the arms come in, now, crossed arms is very comfortable. This isn't something I pay much attention to, but a self-hug mm -hmm. is different. It's tighter, it's closer in. Um, even this kind of thing with the clenching, yep. that's very different than simply crossing the arms. So when we start to see these kinds of closed, protective gestures, when we start to see objects in front of the person, I'm holding my drink, I'm holding my purse, I'm holding my books in front of me, these are blocking mechanisms. So open versus closed. Also, upwards versus down. When we're happy, things go upwards. Gestures tend to go upwards. Feet start to point upwards. When we're feeling down, it's literally, that expression exists for a reason. We're feeling down, we're feeling lower. Our gaze starts to go downwards. Things become smaller. So these are things we could spot for comfort versus discomfort. Love that. Uh, let's go now to some of the specific ones, the Harry and Meghan. One of the things that I really, I mean, there was a ton that I appreciated about your breakdown of her. And this is what underlined the difference between lie detection and perhaps stress slash inauthenticity detection. I'm one of those people that when she speaks, I couldn't in initially place what my issue was. But in watching your videos, I was like, there is something inauthentic. This feels acted and that doesn't make it a lie. That means that maybe she really wants people to believe her or that she's been trained to perform in this, in this way ever since she was a kid, even prior to the cameras. But there was a number of scenes that you pointed to with her that were just like it was very much that she wanted to be believed. And so I, I felt a lot of that. Another thing that I loved in your breakdown was you pointed to 
something that I, that frustrates me in real life with is, which is a sort of inception where somebody puts an idea in your head and then disowns having done it. So there's a moment where she's talking about racism in the Royal family and, you know, Oprah says, so wait, you know, she says, Hey, there was a conversation about this. I will never say what it was about. And then Oprah says, so you're saying there was racism. She says, well, if that's what you think, then maybe. And it's just like, were, yeah. you just spelled it out. You just you, That's what you said. And so yeah. this this inauthentic, oh, you found me, when you're like, no, you're, you're, you are begging people to draw this conclusion and then washing your hands of it, yeah. unfortunately makes the entirety of the story less believable when it doesn't necessarily imply that everything was uh, not true. Absolutely, yeah. And that statement was huge for me because there were so many indicators of low confidence in that response, because Oprah said, are you saying that um, th they were concerned something about the color of the, I don't want to, I don't want to quote her mm -hmm. because I don't, I don't remember word for word, but Oprah asked, are you saying that within the family, there was a conversation or a concern about the color of your baby's skin? Mm -hmm. And Megan's answer was, I wasn't, I didn't, I, I, she didn't ask Harry to elaborate on the conversation because she wasn't there for the conversation. So I didn't, you know, I didn't ask for more details. But if that's what you're saying, I think that feels like a safe assumption. So I mm -hmm. think, not, you know, not I know, I think that feels, not that is, that feels, and above all, if that's what you're saying. So mm -hmm. she's hinting at something and then pinning it on Oprah. Mm -hmm. um, but if we go back to that inauthentic thing, so again, you know, I, by the way, you have no idea how much I appreciate the fact that you did your research because so often I go on interviews and they go, Tell us how to detect lies, Mr. Lie Detector. And I go, oh, I got to educate yeah. here. So I love the fact that you, you've done the research to know all this. Thank you so much for that. But here, so once again, Paul Ekman has found in his research that people who are telling the truth but fear not being believed display very much the same behaviors as someone who is lying. Because in both cases, remember what I said earlier? Truth tellers tell, liars sell. But when you think you're not going to be believed, now you shift to sell, whether you're telling the truth or not. So liars are naturally afraid people won't believe them because they know they're lying. But if you're telling the truth and you have that same fear, you start to behave like someone who deceives. So Megan, by the time she's doing this Netflix documentary, very much knows that there's a lot of people out there who will not believe her, regardless of what she says. So we are gonna see these behaviors of trying to sell a story, which is why a lot of what she says feels over-dramatized. And a lot of people just can't stand her as a baseline because everything she says is so dramatized. And this could be partially because she's scared of not being believed. It could be because of her history as an actress. It could be also because she was recently a mother and she has this habit of speaking slowly, like she's talking to kids, like we explain everything with broad gestures. And that just tends to rub certain people the wrong way. So You've yeah, reminded there me are of things another about her that just people get irritated by. Yeah, you reminded me of another. You said that she's a mother, and there was uh, this segment of things that you, we saw on Amber Heard. We saw it a little bit with Meghan Markle, which was these sympathy-seeking phrases that do not directly apply to what's being said. So there's this, you know, as a mother, or as a, like these things that are not pertaining to the conversation that is being had, yep. and that, again, it, you know, you may sincerely be a mother, and what you're saying may be true, but that, that really overly aggressive attempt to garner sympathy by playing a card that need not be played right there strikes some as deeply inauthentic and therefore you know we don't yeah. like or believe that person which is i think it seems to be that is what is compounding her public image issue Absolutely. <laughs> with yeah. a lot of things did you see harry by the way on stephen colbert recently uh, i i saw bits and pieces of it but i haven't had time to sit down and properly watch it to me, and I would be curious what your thing was, he was wildly likable. He was so likable. And I, I wonder if the solution to their PR problem is to stop sitting both of them next to each other and just send him out there because he he was vulnerable and, and open and had been in the army. And the other thing is that there seems with Harry to be so little to gain. The guy was born a prince. There's nothing more for him to get versus I think some of the assumption that I perhaps carry and others carry into Meghan Markle's like she started small, then became an actress, then worked her way up to the wife of the prince. And so there, there seems to be this, well, for me, there's this concern that 
uh, you you act like you just wound up with Prince Harry. Like I didn't even know that he was the. I didn't even know who this guy was. And then like yeah. whoop de doo. Now now you're one of the most famous couples in the entire world. So this rising tide of her is not uh, the same thing. Is not occurring with Harry. He's Harry no matter who he is given his birthright. So uh, check that out if you're if you're interested. Yeah, I, I wonder will. what your although, analysis would although be. Although this is a department where your expertise far outweighs mine. You know, like mm-hmm. when it comes to spotting what makes someone likable and charismatic that's 100 percent your department so that that's actually a massive testimony for her i think he should put that on his website that charisma <laughs> command said that he he handled that interview quite charismatically that's awesome i, I can't wait to see it so what is I, I was thinking about this prior to our conversation i'm curious if this tracks with you so your audience when we were talking you surprised me i thought it would be the same as mine you said it's majority women who watch your videos is that correct mm-hmm Mine yeah. is majority men, 80-20. And oh, that distinction yeah. that you drew, I wonder if that is a gender distinction, which is it seems like women are more interested in what is going on in the internal world of other people. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What's happening? Men don't carry that same interest. They want to know what works. What's going to get well, people to like me? I don't need to know what they're thinking. I just want to know what to do so that I get the result that I'm looking for. So, so Charlie, think about it this way. When Think about the conversation that's being had when women hang out together and men. And again, I, mm-hmm. I don't like to generalize based on gender, but you know, think of that stereotypical conversation yeah. that's happening in a gathering of women and a gathering of men. With women, it's very much about who said what and who behaved what way. And, oh, did you see did something was wrong with, you know, there's something going on with that couple. And, oh, did you guys notice that, you know, she was being a little dismissive or he was doing this or, you know, to talk about events, current events and be like, something's going on. Analytic. They're very good at empathizing. And in a moment, we could talk about why that is. There's an actual physical reason as to why that is. But think about men when we get together and we brag about, you know, going to the bar last weekend. It's like, I went to this girl and I said this and then I said that. And then, you know, so it's, it's what I said. It's what I did. It's, it's kind of that thumping our chest, bragging about, you know, how effective we are at communication. So there's actual research that shows that when women say a man has a good sense of humor, they mean that he tells funny jokes or that he's funny in his behavior. Mm-hmm. When men say that women have a good sense of humor, <laughs> they mean that she yeah, laughed at his, at his jokes. You know I, that? Yep. I, I mean, I had never read that research, but as soon as you started the second half of that sentence, I know exactly what me and my friends mean, which is, oh, she's so funny. Yeah, she laughs at what she I say. She has a great say. sense of humor. She <laughs>, laughs at what I say. Whereas women mean it as he says funny things. Yeah. Which yeah. is incredible. Like, what a great, I think that s- explains the distinction between our channels. Uh-huh. That is, that is a fascinating thing to, to break down. And it's also like, I think of, there's been times in my relationship with my girlfriend where she'll be like, that person treated me in X way. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, they walked in, they said hi, there was a smile. It's like the most obtuse description of what friendliness looks like. And it's only been recently that I've realized that she is right and I am wrong, that she actually has a much better intuitive picker of how people are feeling on the inside. And mine is much more gross. Like, did they do the big overt gestures? And, it, you know, in going to your channel was, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to give this to her so she can communicate with me what I'm not seeing because... Wow. You know, the, the subtlety, I, did, I couldn't have described it. Amber, um, what are, Amber Heard was a bit obvious, but like a fake frown versus a real frown. Like not, not being able to detect the difference between a fake smile and a real smile or a fake frown and a real frown because they are subtly different muscles that are being activated. And my guess is that women are picking up on those very subtle things, but often, as many people do, lack the language to describe it as. And so when my girlfriend comes to me and says, that person wasn't nice to me, I go, well... They did all of the big gestures that look nice, and she's detecting these micro expressions that are indicating that something is inauthentic. So there's a reason for that, and it's in the brain, but it's it's the matter we speak the least of. Because when we talk about the brain, we talk about gray matter. Mm-hmm. Nobody really talks about white matter. And mm-hmm. the the so there's the white matter connects. It's the connective tissue between the two hemispheres. It's called the corpus callosum. Corpus callosum. Oh, yeah. And women's corpus callosum is much thicker than men's. What that means basically is that the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere of women's brains communicates a lot more successfully and rapidly. Mm-hmm. So men often are in zones. And, and we see this in, in uh, aspects of our lives as well. 
Like when we're with our friends, we're not thinking about work. When we're at work, we're not thinking about our girlfriend. When we're with our girlfriend, we're not really thinking about, we're very good at sort of compartmentalizing that type of thing. Whereas women are very good at multitasking. Like when they're at work, they're also thinking of what they got this weekend and the kids at daycare and they're thinking about you. And there's a, there's an author, Barbara DeAngelis, and she describes this so love, in such a lovely way. She says, men have these pizzas where every slice is one thing. Like there's a slice of mushroom, there's a slice of pepperoni, there's a slice of, whereas women have this pizza and the toppings are all over the pizza. Like they just, it, it's, it's, it's such a capacity to multitask. And that's because of the corpus callosum, but that also lends to the reason that they're intuitive because conventional wisdom tells us that one side of the brain is logic and run one's creativity. And it's not that simple. It's not necessarily that simple to where like left is this and right is that. However, there are areas of the brain that do different things. And when that corpus callosum is as developed as it is for women, they can go back and forth between all those things very rapidly. So intuition is not just logic. It's not just... What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co emotion it's accessing both at the same time yeah. so that's exactly the reason they're better at it because we're looking at it either entirely emotionally or entirely logically we have a hard time getting the both to communicate they have an easier time doing that i like i like thinking about intuition because this does match i feel like as i'm getting older i am becoming more intuitive and it really is as i become more in tune with my emotions because it is these detecting of the subtle like you know that made the hair on my arm raise up and when when I was younger I was like you know who cares steamroll full full steam ahead as I as I become more in touch with those emotions and compare them with a logical understanding and analysis of what's happening I find that I have deeper intuitions about what people are experiencing what they're thinking why they spoke in that particular way and also that you know my this is <laughs> this is I think that uh, stereotypical male thing, like, you know, my, my range of emotions that people have, were like, they were happy, sad, angry, or frustrated, you know, like, there's not many, but to detect that there are shades of these things, that that person was, like, happy, but also something was bothering them, and that there was inauthenticity in the way that they played up that happiness. To be able to detect those nuances is something that I've only really started to develop reflexively as I've, I don't know, become more emotional and, sure. and felt those sorts of things in my life. So, uh, yeah. just very cool to see how how these are tied to to leaks that are coming through in people's behavior yeah, and, and interface. And, you know, for and me, it's unbelievable when people say like, body language is a pseudoscience, body language is fake. First of all, when we spend that much time trying to figure out if this is a science, we're losing the main point. You know, a lot of people argue that psychology as a whole is a pseudoscience because you can't repeat things in a lab. You know, like Pavlov found certain things. If I did Pavlov's experiment now again, or Milgram or any of the big psychology studies we talk about, I might get slightly different results because it's not chemistry where you will always get the same results. Psychology is a very delicate thing, but it doesn't mean that the results are invalid. And to me, to deny body language is to deny what makes us human. We had nonverbal communication for so much longer than we had verbal communication. We communicated without words for so long. Like if you look at the entire span of humans, we've had language for like this. Before that, it was all nonverbal. We would signal things with our eyebrows. We evolved for our eyebrows to be more mobile than primates because we, we use them a lot to communicate certain things. You know, emojis. Why do emojis work? You know, nobody <laughs> sees an emoji of like that, this, and misunderstands, oh, you're so happy. Nobody misunderstands that. We, there's, a, there's something fundamental that we understand about body language. That's why Ekman's research worked. That's why in isolated tribes, People knew what fear looks like, what surprise looks like, because it's deeply ingrained in our experience as human beings. And there's, there's evolutionary, evolutionary reasons why it's there. For example, let's talk about surprise, right? When we're surprised, something hits you and you're surprised, what happens? Things open up. Eyes open up, mouth opens up. Everything opens up. Why? Do, do, you, have, do you know why? Or I mean, can I imagine I, I, the opening to, to, re, to let in as much information as possible would be my guess. Exactly. So the moment we're surprised, we don't know what's happening. That's what surprise is. Something's happening. We don't know what it is. So we open everything up to take in as much information as we can. The mouth opens up to more oxygen intake in case we need to react. So big breath. 
With anger, it's the nostrils because we might need to react. Um, but the eyes open up and there's actual research that shows is out of the University of Toronto, Daniel Lee, I believe. Yes, I'm confident on this one. Um, whose research showed that when your eyes are open, you take in more information from the peripherals. And he measured how much more information mm. you take. So in surprise, the open we open up and mouth opens up and we take in more information. Now, surprise lasts very short. It typically turns into something else. So I walk into my surprise party. First it's surprise, <laughs> then I realize what's happening. It turns into happiness. But if it's a threat... It turns into fear, anger, something else. Now with anger, the eyes are still open because I'm trying to still focus, try to get that information in, but the eyebrows have come down now in more of a protective position. And the mouth is now closed because an open mouth is vulnerable. So, which is often why after surprise, we block our mouth because that's a vulnerable thing. So all these things have evolutionary reasons why they're there. And that's why inherently we recognize them. One of the things I was struck by is the impossibility of hiding came through because I and what I have felt is you know I just have a felt sense of of leaking those times when I do it I've been on podcasts where I'm nervous and I feel myself for the first time in weeks taking hard swallows and it's like what is I can't not because I'm I guess what's going on there I'm filling up with saliva and nervousness and not clearing yes, I don't stress yeah I need more moisture yeah and I and I'm going I can't hide this I don't know how to, like you know I got to hard swallow this down or the way that my hands move shifts or I start to turtle a little bit and the impossibility of hiding all of those things, I find uh, just truly impressive <laughs> that, that that is something that we've evolved to, uh, Dude, to, so funny to, you're saying that because to cover but not cover fully. Yeah, no, and it's crazy because a lot of people tell me like, oh, you must be really good at poker or hiding your tells, and I'm not. It mm. doesn't matter how long I've studied this, I'm not good at hiding it. So it's funny you mentioned this because two weeks ago, Tops, I went with my girlfriend to a store where she was returning something, but there was something about the return that wasn't like 100%. Like, I think it was the, 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 it was past the date where you're supposed to return it. And I had this information. I knew that we might bump into some trouble because something about it wasn't, you know, exactly the cookie cutter. Like, okay, here it is. Return it. Get the money back. Whatever it is. It was past the date. Something, something about it. So we're at the cash and she's returning it. And all of a sudden I catch myself that I'm lip compressing. I'm standing at the counter like this. Mm. And I go, shit, stop, <laughs> stop it. I just realized as it, was, as it was happening, because lip compression is without opinion, something we know that we're yeah. not saying a lot of times, disagreement. You know, like somebody might say something, you might go, mm, not so sure. So I'm like there, I'm like just trying to hold it in because I know something that I don't want to leak. So even with me, there are times where I catch myself doing something, I go, stop it. Yeah, yeah, and, and of course, it's, it's impossible because that part of your brain is operating whether you like it or not. Yeah. Um, so I want to move to hypnosis. So to, the way I describe hypnosis is for me, uh, there, there are a couple of ways I, I like to look at it. One of them is like a giant switchboard where your brain throughout your life has made certain connections. Like for example, someone with irrational fear has connected, say, um, spiders to mm -hmm. crippling fear. And there's, a re there's an evolutionary reason for that because there are certain types of spiders that would have killed your ancestors. Mm -hmm. It's not the little one in the corner of your living mm -hmm. room, but, but that fear is there because of that evolution um with hypnotherapy basically all we do is we go okay instead of connecting spiders to fear we're gonna connect spiders to indifference or not mm. giving a shit so we're just kind of rewiring that basically we just tell the brain like no don't do this do that instead so that's basically the best way to explain it whatever response you're having to a stimulus we can we could just rewire so it's very similar to pavlov how we condition certain things to certain uh, triggers it's the same with this so pavlov was able to demonstrate that when he rings the bell the dog starts to salivate right it's basically the same as that but super advanced to where instead of it being a bell it's um touching your finger and all of a sudden you feel confidence because we mm -hmm. wired that a certain way and then we have hypnosis on stage which is an entirely different thing and honestly i'm not one of those hypnotists who's at all um, trying to hide the fact that I do believe hypnosis is just a really, really strong placebo. People come up to me after my hypnosis show and they say, you know, I think they were faking. And my answer to them is always the same. I go, it doesn't matter what you think or what I think. It's what that person thinks on stage. That's it. It's what their experience is. I'm not anyone, you're not anyone to tell them what they experience. If somebody comes out of my show and goes, I, I couldn't remember a thing until you stopped my finger. And I swear when you said to me that, that whatever, that chair is floating in the air, I 100% believe that. 
Who the hell are we to tell them, no, you didn't experience that? They freaking experienced that. The brain is a powerful thing. So is it, is it this enchantment that I have over them? Is it like this real thing that I could get them to hallucinate? No, it's my capacity to get them to think that these things are happening. And to me, that's as powerful as it actually happening. And my, one of my favorite quotes that has nothing to do with hypnosis, but in fact has a lot to do with hypnosis, is from Harry Potter, where um, in the last book, Harry Potter sees Dumbledore, like in a, in a vision, in a hallucination. He says, is this all real or is it all in my head? And Dumbledore answers, well, of course it's in your head, but why on earth should that mean that it isn't real? Mm-hmm. And to me, that's such a powerful quote, because why do we make the distinction between something being in your head and it being real? Your, your brain dictates what your reality is, like what you see, what you perceive. It's all being filtered through your brain. So if your brain thinks a certain thing in a certain moment, to me, that's real. This is what has always stunned me. If stage hypnosis, the things that we're seeing, even from a placebo perspective, are truly being experienced, if you can truly step into superhuman confidence or just like, is that something that you've applied in your day-to-day just with friends or is that not an application of hypnosis? So that's where hypnotherapy comes in. So mm-hmm. so if you want to make something sustainable as like a habit in your brain, mm-hmm. me hypnotizing you once and telling you to do it may not be that effective. It can be. I've had cases where one session did amazing things, but typically with hypnotherapy, it's a longer session focused on that thing, but miracles are possible. I, mm-hmm. I could show you an exchange. I don't really want to show it now because I'm yeah. not sure the person would be comfortable totally. with their name, but I, I will hold me to this after we're done because I want your viewers to know that this is sincere. Hold me to this after we're done. I will show you the screenshots of this conversation where a viewer of the channel reached out to me because she had a crippling fear of heights and flight. Uh, uh, planes her entire life ever since she was a child she said that in a mall she was on the second floor she looked down had a panic attack and since then every time she's on a flight she has anxiety attacks she's yelling and screaming and shaking she's passed out a couple of times i could show you the initial message where she says how bad it is we did a virtual hypnotherapy session of course i screened her there's certain things i look for to make sure that i want to do it virtually i wouldn't do virtual with everyone there are certain dangers there but i she was fine and uh, I put the conditions in place for her to be fine. We did, a, we did a virtual hypnotherapy session, an hour and a half. I have the whole thing recorded and for her. She, she knows. And uh, one session. She wakes up from the session. And I must tell you this, because not every case is like this. The things I would look for in an ideal world and a hypnosis subject, she had. Mm. And we could talk about what that means, but basically she was the perfect candidate for this process. She woke up from the, th- from the session and she said, I can't imagine why I was ever scared of heights. That was, the, yeah. that was one of the first things she said when she came out of this. And uh, I said, do you have any travel plans? She goes, yeah, a month from now I have a flight to Vancouver planned. The next day she sent me a screenshot where she went, you know in the trees, like those tall ropes on the trees where you, I don't know what it's called, but yeah, you yeah, walk. Yeah. What is that thing called? Like you walk on the, the ropes. little rope walks or, yeah, rope, I know what you're talking rope, about. Rope walk, tree rope walking. She sends me a picture of herself with a great big smile and I could see like right behind her this colossal dip with a big smile on her face. And she writes this, this is the next day and she writes to me and she goes, I just went on this thing, you know, X amount of feet off the ground. And she goes, had a blast. I was smiling the whole time and she goes, my, my husband could not believe it. Like he couldn't believe what he was seeing. And then a couple of weeks later, she writes to me saying that she took a flight. Not only did she go on a the flight, there was turbulence and she goes, I was excited to go on the flight and I had zero, even during the turbulence, I was just sitting there. I was totally fine. She goes, I have no idea how you did what you did, but I can't even remember the way I used to feel about this. I, I know as a fact that I was scared of it, but I, and I could show you all these messages from her, you know, 100% legit. Am I saying I could always have those results? No, mm-hmm. but it's amazing that it can happen. Yeah, and that that matches my understanding of hypnosis is that it's particularly powerful for phobias. You know what I mean? For like, like this is what Tony Robbins, I don't know if you know this, got famous for, was he would go on radio shows and he'd say, bring me, you know, he would challenge all the therapists in the area, bring me your worst patient, I'm going to cure them on live radio. And whether it was ladders or snakes or anything like that, he was, and he had, later in life, he admitted, he's like, look, this didn't work every time, but I got lucky in that the people that showed up were good candidates and I got, you know, and it, and it did work for them. Yeah. Uh, I just keep going, man, I, I don't need a phobia cured, but like, I'm sure there's so many people, I don't know why this doesn't exist, where there's a hypnotist outside of every bar going, how many shots do you want charging money to just go, okay, five bucks, I'm going to give you five shots. Like, I could imagine that that's, uh, 
if if possible, it is so weird that it is not being explored more in the practical applications. Yeah, so I'm thinking about that application of it to like tell people, okay, you know, drunk off water, go have the time of your life. Um, I think there's a bit of an ethical thing with that. You know, to what extent do you want to go through life kind of hijacking certain responses? I don't know. I, I, Mm. Would I do it? If somebody came to me, it's a good question. If somebody came to me and said, hey, I want you to come out with me on Friday nights and I don't want to- Just give me four drinks so I can drive home. (laughs) Um, Yeah, sorry. By the way, that's not an eye block there. I blocked for a long time. It's just one of my contact lenses bugging out. Oh, Uh, good. You you might interpret that as me being like, no, I don't want to I need a cluster. I need a cluster. I I won't make any assumptions. Uh, (laughs) Um, Yeah, I suppose it's just an ethical thing to like- Mm. You know, it's one thing for me to improve someone's life. Like I have a pattern for getting over breakups, grief, or loss that I think mm. is really, really powerful. And I and I do this at seminars where I've had people that were just really stuck on the next, heartbroken, they can't get past it. And I have this really, really powerful pattern for that um, that I do and we see insane results. And uh, I see that as being a benefit as opposed to like a party trick. So I think that's what it is. It's like, I think in contexts where it's this long-term positive effect on someone's life. I find it more justifiable than um, like a party trick, you know, for confidence and working on your confidence and your mm-hmm. ability to like stop that inner voice or that uh, approach anxiety that absolutely exists. There are tons of hypnotists out there that specialize in that confidence. Got it. Um, so moving on, I want to ask um, as we move towards the mentalism and we're going to get to see some cool demonstrations, uh, David Blaine I don't know what's going on with him. How much magic, how much feats, you know, he's, he's a very, I feel like he's a, uh, I don't know if he's emblematic of magicians or of the prestige style of magician where you can't tell where the trick is and where the real feat of endurance begins with him. Uh, how do you, what's your read on David Blaine and some of the feats that he's done? Did he really stand in the block of ice? Is he really holding his breath or are these magic tricks disguised as endurance feats? And then on the flip side, do we have magic tricks that are really just feats of endurance that he's doing? So, um, without, you know, outing specific things and saying, this is real, that's not real because it's not Mm -hmm. my place to do that. I'm very close with some of his consultants and, David Blaine is in a league of his own because exactly as you said, so there are things that he does, a lot of things that he does that are legitimately, he trained his body to be able to do these insane things. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things you can't cheat. Like when he stood, what vertigo, when he stood at the top of that pole, yeah, you know, you, you can't, you can't fake that The guy was there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of things that he does that he actually trains, like holding his breath. This he does in his live show for seven minutes. He actually, is so dedicated to his craft that he puts his body through rigorous training to be able to do these crazy things. And he applies that to the magic. And the reason I love that is because he's not using trickery to convince you that what he does is real. He's actually doing real things so that that blurs the line. Because I could do tricks for you and package them as real. Like I'm reading your thoughts, I'm reading your body language. Anything I do in mentalism, I could tell you that I'm reading your body language and X amount of people will believe that, but that's, that's unethical. You're using trickery to sell it as something different. He's demonstrating real things in order to blur the lines and make you go, okay, this guy does tricks, but he also does real things and I can't tell which is which. So it's brilliant. I I love everything about that. It's so authentic because he doesn't address it. He lets you try to figure it out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I mean, I imagine I saw him on Hot Wings, and his the the whole joke of the or the trick is that he doesn't sweat a bead. He has no problem. He does the every single Hot Wing, which you've seen every other guest suffer with. Yeah. And it's like, what is this guy just sitting around like scarfing the hottest of hot sauces for eight yeah. months in advance? Yeah, it seems like probably that's what he did. That's probably what he did. Yep. <laughs> um, that's that's yeah. I guess it it reminds me of the Prestige, which is yeah, the trick is the effort that goes into. Everything prior to this. Yes. The dedication to be able to do that. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, well, let's do some if you've if you're open to it. Let me see. Let me just uh, quick. I'll check if I have other things that I wanted to ask you about real quick. Um, well, let's talk, before we do the mentalism, let's talk a little bit about what mentalism is. Yes. All right. Let's do that. And then we'll go right into it. Cool. Please tell me. Tell me. So there's a <laughs> hundred. I mean, I have a couple other things. I'll, I'll give you a list of topics. And if any of these interest you, you can touch on it. But we don't have to. Um, Will Smith and Jada, I'll share what I thought the piece that I learned from in that was this idea of, uh, the red table, Jada's sitting there, Will's sitting there. And you talked about how someone 
Uh, one way to just detect comfort, which is associated with not lying or at least feeling in control of a situation, is imagine how long it would take that person to get up, gather all of their belongings, and leave. And what we had was Jada cross-legged on the seat in a way that is not easy to escape the situation, which seems to, you know, that, that uh, it implies a comfort with where she is or at least a willingness to sit where she is, which I thought was just... Uh, and it's true, and I, you know, I see other people when they've got their stuff, they've got their phone. Just, you know, if you're trying to be one of those people that doesn't keep people at lunches too long, notice when they start to gather up their things because they're getting ready to get the heck out of there. Um, so, if there's anything that you wanted to share with Will and Jada, I just that was the part that stuck out. To yeah, me is, I, I think oh, I like that's that. a really good takeaway from that video because I like to have these little things where it's like instead of trying to pay attention to small behaviors, to have this global thing that you apply that gives you clues. So when mm -hmm. we're stressed in a room, whether it's for an interview, whether it's for a date, whatever it is, when we're stressed in a room, there's a part of our body that's thinking of leaving. There's a part of our mind that's thinking of leaving. So we might see exit checks. People, mm -hmm. you know, are looking for the exit or their torso might be pointed to the exit. But also we're going to see mechanisms that will make it easier to leave. Their belongings are close to them. Their jacket is either on their arm or very close. Either it could be on them. So we're seeing these things that if, if it took them, so that's the way I look at it. Like, I estimate how long it would take them to get up and leave with all their belongings. So if you left your jacket on the couch over there and you're sitting over here, that's pretty comfortable. You got to get it. You got to go grab that thing. But if all your things are near you and you're sitting down and, you know, your feet are planted on the ground and you're sitting at the edge of your seat and you keep checking that exit, something in your mind is saying you want to get the heck out of here. But yeah, if you're sprawled out and your cell phone's on the bench over there and your jacket's on the couch over there and you got your legs crossed and your shoes are off or dangling off, there's comfort there. You're, mm. you're not you're you're not thinking about going anywhere. Yeah. So that's a good that was a good takeaway. Let's hop now into mentalism. Let's start with uh, what is mentalism before we get some of the demonstrations. And I think the audience will get to participate. Is this true? Or is it? Yeah. Is it, is uh, it well, to me? well, you will. Okay. <laughs> got it. I'll be participating because we don't have a live. I mean, if we had a live audience, then they would. But okay. We got don't. it. Got it. Cool. Or do you Let's want to bring it. someone in? I don't know. No, I don't know. I remember there was those TV shows back in the day, which is like, think of an animal. I was like, it's an elephant, you know, <laughs> with the begins with the letter E or something. Yeah. Um, um, and so, okay, no, so it'll I'll, be I'll to me. I'll, it's, I'll do stuff for you. Cool. Beautiful. Um, yeah, so let's start with what it is. So, okay, so mentalism. It, you know, it's it, there's there are a lot of different mentalists who explain mentalism in different ways. I suppose something that a lot of people say is like, it's kind of magic, but more with your thoughts and with your mind. And I think that's a fair explanation for it. But the way I like to explain it is this. If you watch a magician and your first guess as to how they did it, how they did their trick is sleight of hand trickery or something like that, you're watching a magician. If you watch a magician and your first guess as to how they do it is that they have some sort of mastery over nonverbal communication, psychology, body language, or things like that, you're watching a mentalist. Now, to be very clear, we do amazing things with your thoughts. We, we, we could tell you things, you know, your, your phone's passcode. We could tell you your, your mother's birthday. We say all these amazing things about you. But the basis of mentalism remains trickery. It's still yeah. at its basis a trick. For example, in my show, I do this thing where um, somebody thinks of a memory from their life and I start revealing information or somebody opens up a book and thinks of a word and I tell them what it is. Mm -hmm. No amount of body language or behavioral analysis will ever allow me to know what word you thought of in a book. It's impossible. It doesn't exist. Where that comes in is the presentation. So I, mm. with persuasion, I can guide certain things to go a certain way to increase my odds of having a certain outcome. Yeah. With behavioral analysis or body language, when I see someone think of something, all of a sudden I see... So I, it's one thing to say, think of a person's name. Look at me, James. That's mm -hmm. a lame trick. But when they think of this person, I might see a bit of a smile. I might see them blush a little. I might see them kind of swoon a little. So I know this is a love interest. Mm. Or I might see a bit of that... Anger. I know that there was maybe a bit of a fight. I might see digital flexion. I might see those fingers come inwards as they think of this person. So now I could say something like, there was a bit of a spat here recently. There's a negative thing I'm getting. So all these things allow me to make the effect better. But at its basis, the way I know what they're thinking of remains a trick. Yeah. Yeah, I'm reminded of like uh, Sylvia Brown and those people that, you know, they can do it some of the time. And then every now and then I, I, you might have seen that one scene on Montel where she completely flubs how this person died. And it's, you know, a huge embarrassment because ultimately there is no mind reading going on. Nope. There's educated, educated guesses and broad strokes that seem like they're more specific than they are. Darren Brown did a fantastic thing that I'm sure you're aware of where he gave people 10 pages on themselves. And like, this is this is totally me. He's like, 
everybody got the same thing. These are, just, <laughs> these are just cold reads that are true. Yeah, Darren people. Brown is such a great person to watch for this kind yeah. of stuff because he, um, like me, is very clear on that distinction. And he's a massive mm -hmm. skeptic to where he doesn't believe that there's actual supernatural things out there. I'm like that as well. I'm not rough about it. Like when somebody does believe, I'm not like, no, you're a moron. Yeah. I, I respect people's beliefs and experiences, but I haven't seen anything that satisfied my curiosity. And above all, I've seen on numerous occasions, supposed psychics or mediums that had these abilities and I'm looking at them and I know exactly what they're doing. As a mentalist, I know exactly what they're doing and there's nothing supernatural about it. So um, that's where my skepticism comes in from. I've seen the peak behind the curtain and I'm to this day yet to see something that I can't explain with my experience in trickery, mentalism, behavior, deduction, persuasion, all these things combined. I haven't seen anything that satisfies my curiosity. But if you have, no problem. As long as you're not scamming people, as long as you're not using my tricks, and we'll, I'll show you one, I'll show you a couple mm -hmm. now. As long as you're not using my tricks to prey on people. Mm. Besides okay. that, you believe in what you want. Cool. Well, let's do some. I'm excited. Uh, let's start easy with a quick warm-up uh, deck of cards. I'll do one with a, with a deck of cards. And this mm -hmm. will be fun. It'll demonstrate the difference between how mentalists use a deck of cards and magicians. Um, so deck of cards, Charlie, you play cards at all? Um, I know how to play cards, but not yeah, often. So yeah. you know you know all the suits and Of course, and yes, yes. Okay. Um, I'm going to read your mind right through the screen. Now, Charlie, before we do this, very important for all the viewers, none of what I'm about to do is set up. We're, I'm going to do a bunch of things for you. We had, we had zero discussion. You have no clue what's going on. Everything's super. Like, I didn't prepare you for anything. I didn't say No, no, everything, everything is above board. Ask me questions. Yes, I'm ready. Yes, that is true. Nothing, nothing set up. Here's the crazy thing. Despite me saying this till I'm blue in the face, People are going to suspect it's set up like, oh, they talked about it. They planned it. They're just doing it for views and clicks. And that's fine. That's just a testament to how impossible these things are. Mm -hmm. um, so, Charlie, in a deck of cards, there are 52 cards. In a moment, you're going to think of one and right through the screen. I'm going to read your mind and tell you what it is. So, Charlie, clear your thoughts entirely. And in your mind, think of a card. Now, I know you've studied persuasion a lot. So you might know that powerful cards like kings and aces get picked more often. You know, aces, spades is very common. Um, so you, you could go for those. Like if you think I'm reverse psychologizing you, or you can go <laughs> for whatever card. Don't say it, but in your mind, just think of any card. Let me know when you have one locked in your mind. I had one. I'm going to switch it now. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. You're good? Yes. So you had one and you switched it. Yeah. That's interesting because I was going to ask you to do that. So it's almost like you're the mentalist and you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I was going to ask you to do that because I don't want you to go for the first instinct that comes into your mind because you might think mm -hmm. statistically I would know what that is. So when you change it, now you're on your second thought. But you did have one and then you change it to a completely new one. Yes, correct. I love it. I love it. You're making my job easier for me. Focus on that card. Charlie, if I could look at you right through this screen and just say the name of that card, would that not be the coolest thing you've seen in your entire life? That would be incredibly impressive. You've seen a lot of stuff, but that would that would top the charts. Like, just no, you're not taking it out of the deck. You're not yeah, writing yeah, that, it down. That, you're not that would be wild. With anyone. That this, I wouldn't. This, I wouldn't I'm believe it. Tell you the name of your card. Okay. Okay. Look at look at me. Look at your uh, look right into your lens. Okay. Okay, I got it. You can look back at me on your screen, mm -hmm. Charlie. The name of the card that you're thinking of is Hugh Jackman. Wait, that's not a that's, <laughs> that's not a card. That's a. Pro it's not a thing. It's a person. Were you thinking of a card or a person? A, a card. card. A okay. card. You know what? Let, let me, I, I think I know what happened. Let me show you this. Uh, I'm going to take the cards out like this okay, in full of you. I don't want you to think I'm switching them or anything like that. I'm going to come here so you can see the cards very clearly. Mm -hmm. um, Charlie, say the name of your card that you were thinking of, the second one. It's okay. You could say it out loud. What was it? It was a six of spades. Six of spades. Six of spades. Very, very uncommon choice, I must admit. Six of spades. You could see these are all different. Um, Six of diamonds is there, but you didn't say six of diamonds. Oh, six of spades right there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm going to do guy. this very clean, slow and fair. I'm going to just place it right there on the box. Can you see it? Yes. I won't touch that. I won't manipulate it. It's going to stay right there. No sleight of hand, nothing like that. This isn't sleight of hand at all. I promise you. Now here's the part I forgot to tell you, Charlie. I guess I should have said this. I name all my playing cards after celebrities. Each card has a celebrity name. Like for example, we have Ed Sheeran right there. That one's on the three of clubs and we have Robert Downey Jr. Um, Nine of Hearts, very charismatic individual. You, you know, you could explain to us why. Same with Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> Seven of Spades, uh, Steve Harvey, Jennifer Aniston, Michael Jackson, Sandra Bullock, Ben Affleck, Ben the Cumberbatch, Jack Black. Of course, that one's literally on the back of a black jack. Um, 
Charlie, what's the what's the card you almost thought of before the six of spades, before you changed your mind? It was the three of spades. The three the of spades. I want you yeah. to see. Oh, did we already? Oh, no, we didn't. We didn't see that one yet. The three of spades is over here, and you could have picked the three of spades, and it would have been Emma Watson. Can you see yeah, that? that that's a good one. Yeah. That's a really good know. one. And, yeah. and you could have said that. And had you said that, it would have been Emma Watson, but you changed your mind. You didn't say three of spades. You said six of spades. And Charlie, without a single question, without a single clue, without anything, I looked at you through the lens and I said, you're thinking of Hugh Jackman. That is true. Six of spades. The only six of spades. Woo! Hugh Jackman. And that's on there. That's not a camera effect. That's in permanent marker. That's one card, the six of spades. I can give this to you. And on the back of it, it says in marker, Hugh Jackman. I got to think this one through now. I got to use my brain on this one. So, and this was no sleight of hand, you say? No sleight of hand. Hmm. I promise you the six of spades says Hugh Jackman on the back. I did nothing to manipulate that. I'm, yeah, I'm imagining. I believe you because I'm imagining your thumb going Hugh Jackman or something. Oh okay. God, no! That would look awful. <laughs> that would look like this. That would look like this. It would be like this. So uh, Charlie, you uh, you could have said any card, <laughs> and uh, you know you could have changed your mind. You didn't change your mind. That would have looked like that. No, that that was on there. I promise. Interesting. I like it. Well, dude, thank you so much. I appreciate um, the convo and the magic and the mentalism. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, brother. My pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, guys. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.